Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jimmy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, May the 19th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we have my man Josh Katz in the house. But before I jump into harassing him, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. One, our Summer Advanced Metcon program is kicking off here on Monday May the 22nd, you guys have just over two hours, two hours, two days, um, and like 10 hours to register and get locked into that thing. It's free for app members. Everybody else, uh, it's free for a week, and you can stand for a couple of pennies if you guys want to get down with us over the next five weeks. It's all the Metcons you guys love to hate, plus like a real deep, detailed, mandatory mobility inside of there. So every other day, we give you guys a Metcon. And then almost like a follow-along uh, mobility pattern for you guys to get into. Some of them longer, some of them shorter. But if you want to, A, challenge yourself and improve your mobility, flexibility, and stability, this is the program for you guys. So it is live right now on all of our social media platforms. And also it's going to be in the show notes here. But it's jeremyscottfitness.app slash challenge for you guys to get down with us. Again, if you guys got questions, just ask as soon as possible. We'll be pumping in the newsletter all over the weekend if you guys are not on there. Hit me up, and I'm happy to add you to the list. But join us the next five weeks, and we'll rock and roll with you inside. And you guys already know this episode is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. It's the one thing I take every single day, and I never miss. If you guys struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables, and let's be real, all of us do, this is the one thing I would take every single day to make my life easier, especially when I travel, and I'm going to be traveling next week, and all the travel packs will be coming with me. So if you guys want to check it out, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott will give you a year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs, which you should already be taking. And if you're not, and you want to try it hundred percent for free, don't feel weird. Don't be nervous. Reach out to us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you guys can hit us up. We will send you some sample packs right to your front door for free. I don't care where you live. As long as you have a mailbox, we can get them to you. You can try them, see that they're the best tasting greens on the planet, and then get hooked up with all the free stuff from there. I've been taking these bad boys for about six, seven years in a row now, and I never miss a day. It's just an easy health habit hack. You guys still have to obviously eat real food. You can't eat shit all day and think these are going to be magic, but if you do eat well, these are going to cover the gaps in your nutrition, especially when you travel. It's just an easy go-to. So hit us up for the free samples. Otherwise, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get all the free stuff today. And all the other sponsors are in the show notes for you guys. Our friends at JLab, our friends at Dry Farms, and Sleep Sold Separately, as well as Kettle and Fire. Check below, hit it up, and you guys are good to go. It's always a mouthful, man. Okay, so we have the coffee man, Josh Katz. Coffee man in the house. I gave you that name today. <laughs> Thanks. I've never been called the coffee man before. Yeah, that'll work. It'll, nice. It should be catchy for people to <laughs> to log in and check it out. Yeah. Um. So you can go as far back as you want to go here. Uh, origin story for people. It doesn't matter. Uh, kind of give them uh, your background as much as you want to go into, and then I'll just kind of I'll pick apart everything from there. Cool. Well. Yeah, I don't know. I was uh, born and raised in Arizona, so I'm a native. Um, lived in some different places over the late years. Out of college, I went to went to NAU here in Arizona. Then from there, I went to uh, let's see, Colorado. Spent some time out there running restaurants, and uh, came back. From there, I went to Chicago, where I ran a couple of restaurants out there, and then came back, and then. Moved out to Southern California and it's been about five years out there running restaurants and gosh, moved back. It's been about 12 years now. So 
Um, yeah, been in the restaurant business my whole life. I think my first job was busting tables at a steakhouse when I was 15 and uh, just loved the energy and the excitement and kind of went from there. And then I studied hotel restaurant management up at school. And you know, like I said, I've never been really had a been employed by anybody else or had another job outside of the restaurant and bar business. Because your first job, you studied hospitality in college. Correct. And you're one of the rare people that is still in the business. Yeah, crazy, huh? After that, well, my wife is too, and she just got her uh, like 15 years the other yeah. day, and I'm like, damn, dude, you're getting old. Yeah, I think most people probably get into it for a little while, especially now, and they're like, fuck this, this is too crazy, and they get out. And you liked it even when you're younger. I loved it. I, I probably loved it more when I was younger than I did it. You know, as I got older, it got a little bit more difficult. But, yeah, when I was younger, I mean, it was just, you know, I was working around people my age, same mindset. And uh, I just loved the energy that was in the in the restaurant. And I just kind of fed off that. And that's that's what I, I just loved it. You know, I couldn't can't really explain it other than that. I went to NAU and couldn't really figure out what I wanted to study, what I wanted to do. And I just kind of looked back on what I had done in terms of employment and I was like well I've worked in the restaurants and let's entertain this idea of maybe pursuing that and see how far I can take it so it's kind of where where it started and my management experience is when I was going to school I worked at a full service hotel up there and I worked at every uh, food and beverage outlet in the hotel and gosh by the time my my end of tenure there was I was a uh, food and beverage director of the hotel and um learned how not to do things but found my passion later to be in full service standalone casual dining restaurants and that's kind of what i did over the last from there the next 20 years plus or so i was you know corporately trained operations guy and just did high volume casual dining restaurants so you start basically like everybody does like busting tables and shit yeah that's where i started yeah and then you go through the whole progression like you go through college how many jobs do you think you've had like too many like like is it like <laughs> yeah. is it like 20 oh maybe more than that yeah really yeah i mean a lot of that had to do with you know um and i'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit but my uh, addiction problems and you know as, especially when i got into managing restaurants and you know i'd get fired and i'd go on to somewhere else and do the same thing and kind of the same pattern would repeat itself and and so so i probably had too many jobs but the good thing is i've seen a lot of operations and how they run so that i've gotten exposure to that and so that that's been a positive yeah, so you're basically when you're in the restaurant biz, like, and obviously like Davey Lorenzo's been on here before. He kind of talks about it like it's not the the healthiest environment for a lot of people a lot of times. No, it, it can be a very dark, unhealthy. You know, I mean, we're serving alcohol, and 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 people are young that typically work in the business. So the thing to do when you get off work is go out and you party all night and wake up the next day and recover and go to work and do it all over again. And that was my life for a long time. And uh, it was ugly. It, and, it, it, you know, today is uh, obviously being sober now today and owning my own company. We take a much different approach to our culture. And I make sure that we have, you know, things in place where we're promoting a positive, healthy work environment. And there's a lot of things that we do uh, from a culture standpoint to really promote health and wellness. Uh, you know, and prime example of that is for this year, instead of doing a holiday party and taking our employees out and getting them wasted, we did a wellness day. And so we bought in a bunch of practitioners and puppies and, and speakers. And uh, I don't know if you know Al. Uh, Dilo works with them. Al Fuentes. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. he did some public speaking there. He, I work with Al. And uh, we brought in some other people and just did like a fun wellness day. And, and that way there was just some takeaway, right? Because 
let's face it, you take your people out and you get them wasted, they might have fun, but there's no value. There's no true value in that, right? So we wanted to create, you know, something that they could take with them. And so that's kind of our approach today. But yes, it is, it is a very dark business. It can be brutal, long hours, drugs and alcoholism run more prominent in that industry than probably any other industry out there. So yeah, especially like when you're in like the bar scene and like, I just got, I would always like, when I was younger, like we go in old town cause yeah. that's, I lived here and anybody's ever been to Scottsdale. It's like here in Nashville, are like the two places, <laughs> pe- you know what I'm saying? Like, Fork, yeah, yeah, it's where people yeah. go just because like, like in our neighborhood, like we live close, obviously like I'll, I'll see there's a group of 12 girls or like 10 dudes walking. And it's like, you already know what they're here for, yep. which is fine. And I get it. And we would go out, but I would always say to my wife, I'm like, what did like a, a rough job that would be like being a bartender till yeah. two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, like sitting there just slanging drinks all night around just knuckle, yeah. knuckleheads. Well, I mean, it's fun. Like I said, if you're, if you're that age and you're in that age group and you're serving the same people that, you know, the same age as you, it, it's, you know, you're the same mindset. So it's really nothing, not a thing until you get older. Right. And you get older and you, you feel like you want to do more with your life and, and then it can be more difficult to work in. But for me, you know, again, uh, it fit my lifestyle because, you know, I'd gone and lived in some different places away from home. So it was always just me and, and just created this like vicious cycle of drinking and working and it's, I just got caught and I couldn't, couldn't get out of it. But it's how you, I guess like when it's early on, it's how you meet people. It's how you become social. It's, yeah. it's a huge part of your job. Like when, like when do you start drinking booze? Just like a normal kid, like teenager? For me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. I, I went through the normal progression of, you know, most kids and how they, you know, go out and start drinking. I think my first time I was drunk was when I was maybe a freshman in high school. Oh, yeah. And my parents were out of town, and, you know, every time they went on. My sister and I never got along, but when my parents went out of town, man, we were on the same page. So we would always have parties over, and I think my first time that I drank was uh, one of those times I was a freshman in high school, and, I got wasted with my buddy of mine, and we were wrestling around. I hit my door on the door, my face on the door jam, and cut my eye, and that would kind of set the stage how things would be every time I drank, right? Yeah, so, yeah. That that was the that was a memorable first time. And then so you just go through, and obviously at all your jobs, that's it's, it's how you guys socialize. It's how you guys get together. At what point are you like, you know what? This is probably not what I should be doing. Or is there like a like a rock bottom moment or was just like this gradual, I came in, I've had enough. Man, I wish it was, you know, I mean, there were certainly a lot of um, moments where I recognized how, how bad of a problem that I had, but I didn't have the tools to do anything about it. Um, And quite honestly, maybe I just didn't want it bad enough at the time. Um, you know, I wish I could have that story where I just woke up one day and I didn't like who I was anymore and I just decided to change. That's my wife's story. My wife's sober too. She just got to a point where she just didn't like how she was acting when she drank and she just made the decision to change and she did. But for me, I had to go much further down the scale. Um, and I, I, uh, you know, I was pretty stubborn because even though when I recognized that I had a problem, I still didn't do anything about it. I mean, I got fired uh, this is when I lived out in Southern California. I got fired from my job because I went to work drunk. Like like really shit-faced? Yeah, I was hammered. I, I, was, uh, I was out with this, um, this girl that I worked with. I was fraternizing. I wasn't supposed to be doing that. And uh, came home with a handle of vodka and woke up at 6 in the morning and 
started chugging it. That's just how bad it was at the time. I went to, and I went to work at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was hammered and uh, I got fired on the spot. And I worked for a, a very reputable company in Southern California and they had a very strict code of conduct and, and I got fired. And then that's... How, and how old are you at the time? Oh gosh, this was, uh, well, I'm almost 50 now. So this was, uh, I think I was 36. Oh shit. So you're yeah. like, you're, you're in it for a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dang um, dude. So yeah, I, I, that sent me on a 10 day bender and I was living with my aunt at the time in Southern California and she was elderly and I lived on the second floor. I pretty much had the whole floor to myself. And so I, sp I spent, you know, 10 days up in that room by myself and, uh, I emptied out her liquor cabinet and I drank myself into oblivion to the point where like I, I thought I was dying and I woke up in like this pool of blood and crap and puke and, and it was, you know, I, I it, it was, I couldn't get it dark enough. I was so miserable. I was so sick. Um, and at that point in time, I, I didn't think there was a way out. Right. So I thought I'm going to kill myself. And, uh, I haven't told this story in a long time. <clears throat> And I started looking for ways on how to do it, but I was so out of my mind that I couldn't figure it out. And I thought that if I could figure out a way that I wouldn't succeed, right? I wouldn't be able to do it or pull it off. Yeah. But that's how bad it was, right? And I just got it. I just couldn't get the room dark enough. And so I laid there for, I don't know, a day or two. And this was like day 11 or day 11, I think, on my bender. And, uh. I just reached out to my mom at that time and told her what was going on. And so, and then after that, it was very, just like very orderly. I, I really felt, um, I wasn't at the time I wasn't really into a faith or my faith or into religion or anything like that. But I just, you know, I said, I think I remember at one point in time where I just reached out to God and I said, Hey, I need help. Like I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And you know, the next day I woke up and it was, I felt like I was getting download of instructions on, okay, do this, do this. It was very orderly. It was very step driven, you know, one thing at a time, make this phone call, pack your bags, get your, and I, you know, so I did that. And, um, I, I called my mom and she, she, you know, I was living in California and she was in Arizona. She's like, can you get home? And I said, no, I, I'm such a mess right now. I can't, I can't get home. I, I'm hallucinating. Right. And so, um, because are you not drinking then for like a day at that point? I was not drinking, but, you know, I, I, I felt like I needed to like wee myself off because it was so bad. I was shaking. Oh, I was, withdrawals, bro. It was oh, brutal. big time withdrawals and I had alcohol poisoning. And um, so I had a couple beers to try to like, you know, that didn't work. And so then I just stopped and I stopped for a day. And then I thought I was good enough to drive home. And so I packed my car and started to drive home. And I made it most of the way, but I was hallucinating the whole way home. I thought there was a bee in my car. I thought there were people chasing me. It, it was it was rough, bro. Jesus. So I finally made it home, and um, she got detoxed at my mom's house for the next two weeks. I probably should have went to an institution or something. Yeah, because you know, how rough is that? It was terrible. I didn't sleep. I was sweating all the time. I was, you know, still hallucinating. Um, I was like anxiety. I've never had anxiety before, but anxiety, like, like you kind of can't even explain. Um, so fearful, just everything, you know, and I just, I just detoxed, you know, by myself at my mom's house. And then she's like, you know, recommended that I go to an AA meeting. And so that day I did, I went to an AA meeting and it changed my life. And you did the whole 12 steps, all the shit? I did the 12 steps and. 
What is it, 90 meetings, 90 days? Did you do all that? Oh, uh, yeah, no? I probably did 150 meetings in 90 days. I had nothing else to do. No shit, so you're, but, not, you're yeah. not working. You're just like, yeah. this is it. So, yeah, I went to, so I went to um, this meeting. I found I really liked it, and um, I got sober. I spent three months just going to meetings every day, working the steps. And uh, I got to a point where I thought, okay, I need to take my will back and get back into my life. And, you know, I can't live with my mom forever, and I can't just go to meetings all the time. I have to get generate some income and start paying my bills again. And so three months is not a lot of time, you know, to be sober, especially after you've on the heels of 20-plus years of heavy drinking. So. Yeah, because you're drinking booze from 16 oh. till. 36. Right, but it wasn't really bad until for, it was probably really bad for about 10 years. So, like post like college time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's the industry and just life in general. Right. Fuck, dude. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, anyways, three months I got sober, cleared my head, and decided, hey, I'm going to move back to California and just pick up where I left off in terms of my career, right? Because that was really important to me. So, I, I tried to do that. It was just, having a rough time, super lonely, went into a deep depression, didn't start drinking again. But uh, I finally got a job up in Orange County. I found a really cool kettlebell gym that I started working out at and uh, kind of plugged in with that community and got, you know, super fit. And I was really uh, just dove into like fitness and nutrition and, and um, it's a new addiction. Yeah, 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 it was, it was, you know, addictive personality. It's not just alcohol and drugs. It's anything that, you know, feels good. Yeah. So I did that. And then, uh, I started doing a herbal life network marketing company. I, I got in oh, yeah. through a friend yeah. of mine, uh, one of the worst decisions I ever made, but I'm listen, not saying I, it's a pyramid, but I, it's what I, it I was, I was figuring out how to live sober at that point. Really. It just, I was just looking for something that would entertain and keep me busy and, you know, allow you know, a little bit of money to come in, but, um, so yeah, I ended up moving back to, uh, Arizona and, um, I, I got really into that herbal life. I plugged in a community down here and it's inevitably where I met my wife, which is the good thing about that whole, um, chapter of my life. She was slanging herbal life too. She was slanging herbal life. She was friends of, uh, with the guy who got me involved. And so it was a real positive group of people and I enjoyed that part of it. Yeah. I did not enjoy the business part of it. It's crazy, like, for people who are listening, like, all the MLM stuff. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm saying I'm not a fan of 90, I'm not a fan of any of it, honestly. I go, but you can crush. People do crush it in that business and make a shit ton of money if if the pieces kind of fit together. And so, I mean, honestly, if you said, hey, your choice is either get shit-faced and be dead or sling herbal life, like, you made the right call. I made the right call. It was a much healthier outlet than, you know, what I was doing before. For sure. Right. So, um, and that was a cool experience. I met some really fun people, but, you know, I have, I have no regrets on that. I mean, yeah. it was just, unfortunately, the business part of it didn't work out for me. I think it takes a certain somebody to work market MLM, like you said. Well, because um, you basically, you have to kind of whore out everybody you know. Totally. You got to do like yeah. for people it's like sales, man. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's like, sales. Hey, and at some point, the problem with those things is like you cap out of your friends. Yeah. And now you got to do like organic sales of that shit. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. And I think it's all about who, you know, who's coaching you too on that business too. Right. It was a good friend of mine. And unfortunately his ways of coaching weren't um, in alignment with, you know, a lot of other ways that were more productive. Yeah. For, you know, he convinced me to open up this, uh, nutrition club they call them and um oh yeah because it's kind of like a gym kind yeah, of kind of yeah you, you can't really advertise 
uh, Herbalife has pretty strict rules on what you can and cannot do from a marketing standpoint. But so you can't have any like signage. It was, you know, nothing they did set you up for success from a, you know, business model standpoint. Yeah. It just didn't work from, you know, you, you, you have to, you, you have to like solely rely on the sales of these shakes to pay all these operating expenses. Right. And so, you know, these, these young kids are coached to get into these spaces, open up these shops and knowing nothing, no, not having any business background. Right. And not yeah. having any, uh, any understanding of how finances work. But anyways, I did that. And uh, that was a disaster. Like how, like, do you got to put up money up front to start doing that? No, shit? it's just standard lease. You go find a place, you lease, you build it out. And then I ended up taking in over an existing, uh, spot from some other gent, some other guys that, that, you know, opened up and were failed. Right. Yeah. And, and so should have seen that red flag, but yeah. didn't thought I could do a better job. And, um, you know, that was just very stressful. And so the stress of that and um, my mom at the time had some serious health issues, almost lost her. And I was dating this girl that went south. So like there was this perfect storm of shit that happened. And, um, you know, the baffling part about alcoholism is, is it's just hard to understand, like why someone would go back to drinking after having such a near death tumultuous experience the first time. But I did. I started drinking again. And how old are you then? Ah, uh, this was three years, so I was, th- was thirty nine, maybe. No shit. Yeah, that's why. Um, and how long did that go on for? This went on for maybe six months. Okay. Didn't get as bad, but pretty close. I ended up finding myself in a hotel room, drinking, and then I reached out to a guy that I knew could help me, and he came picked me up, and I went to a meeting again. That's the first thing I did, and I just dove all the way in. And the first time my experience in AA, I didn't thoroughly go through all the steps at the time. Um, and this time I just fully emerged myself in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got involved with a gentleman who it was really good at the steps and took my time. It took me a year to get through all the steps and I went through it and I worked with other guys. I did all the things that AA says to do and, and, uh, I've been sober ever since. So I'll have eight years next month, but you know, if you count the, the years that I had off, it'd be pretty close to 12, but no shit. Yeah. That's wild, dude. Yeah. So you go through all the stuff and then it just like, it just pulls you back in. Yeah. That's why you got to do the things that you got to do. Like for me, I have to do a lot of of daily things in order to keep my mind right. I have to stay, you know, I have to get plenty of sleep. I take care of myself. Yeah. Like what is, what is your routine now? Like a normal, like a normal day. Like, so you make sure you don't do some dumb shit. Yeah. I have my own process too. So I'm curious. First thing I do when I wake up is I send my wife a gratitude list, five things I'm grateful for. And I just text it to her and she texts me back her five things. And so that's the first thing I do. As soon as I open up my eyes, I grab my phone. I don't look at emails. I don't look at texts. I just text five things that I'm grateful for. That's the first thing I do every day, every day. That's badass actually. And then I get up, um, and I get my son up and I feed him breakfast. And that's important to me because, you know, anybody can be a parent, but not all parents are present for their kids. Right. And so it's important that I'm there and one of the things I'm most proud of with my son is that I'm there every morning when he gets up and I'm putting him to bed every night with my wife. And so that's really important to me. So that's, that's a non-negotiable, right? And so I have these lists of non-negotiables, um, eat breakfast, you know, um, meditate is somewhere in there. Um, meditation's huge. And that whole process is, you know, manifestation, meditation. I focus on, you know, what my goals are. I spend a certain amount of time doing that. 
a certain amount of time manifesting, you know, what I want to happen with my business, my personal life, and everything else. And then, um, and then I'm off to the gym. Usually, try to get the gym workout, either if it's with you or, yeah, you know, time at the gym. And then I'm off to work. Every day. Every day. It's wild, like they, again, like so people who are like listening, like you go through this whole progression. You've had thirty jobs or whatever. How the fuck do you get like, you get here, like to being part of these ownership groups, like owning these places now. Cause like, if you told me like, Hey Jeremy, cause again, like the addiction thing's weird too, because like, you know, you're fucking up, but like, you don't do anything about it. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember like, same thing. Like I would drink but younger than you, but I remember like I would chew tobacco like so hard. I tell this in every speech I do. I go, I would chew all the time. Like you have to like probably like a tin a day. Right. And so my bottom lip is so fucking raw. I can't even like touch it. It hurts so bad. But like in the end of college, like I would wake up in the morning, put a chew in my upper lip at seven o'clock in the morning as I'm taking a shower because my bottom lip is so raw. Oh, shit. And even when I'm doing that, I'm like, I can quit. Like you keep and you say it like, but I just don't want to. Yeah. And you're having this like you're rationalizing it yeah. in like some way or and then you realize you're managing your life around it. Yeah. Like in this absolutely. really, and booze is weird because like I would do the same things like pee my pants, headbutt a wall, do stupid yeah. shit. But in college, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to say it's acceptable, but like, well, it is, it's more acceptable than it is if you're 35 and you're, you know, trying to live a normal life. Right. Because it's more acceptable to do the things that college kids do, which is, you know, go out and get tore up on the floor up and <laughs> do the things, you know, God, dude, like, and be stupid. So no, I just think like, it's so lucky. I'm not like dead. Yeah. Like all the dumb shit, like, cause when you do that, like when you're, when you're drinking that heavily, you're typically, people are doing drugs too. And it's like the amount of cars I got into where it's like, I have no business, like in, it wouldn't be, and I don't want to say this for anybody listening, but like when you're, you have teenage kids, like they're fucking dummies, yeah. college age kids. It wouldn't be like who's sober. It would be like, who's the least shit faced. Yeah. That's, or who's the, or who can be high the best right. and drive. And I did that a hundred times. Yeah. And you, you realize like how dumb that is. It's so dumb, right? And it's interesting. Something you said is, um, you know, I can quit any time. And, and I did that too up until uh, late. The first time I, you know, was in my bending stage of almost dying, I accepted. I, there was a moment in time that I accepted that that's how my life was going to be. If I didn't die, then I was just going to be this person that had this t- terrible alcoholic disease that I was never going to be able to do anything about. I just accepted it because I had tried a million times to quit on my own and I just didn't have the tools that it took. So I just got to a point where like, this is, this is just what I am and who I am and what, how life is going to be. What's well, like a hopelessness. Totally. Yeah. Until you do, but like, and that's the thing too, like that we had other people on here too. Like not everybody does AA, but a lot of people do. Yeah. Most, most people I've had on here who crush have yeah. done the program. Or parts of it or different things of it, whether they did, you know, all 90 days or whatever, or did multiple sessions or still have a sponsor. It's kind of wild how, like, that's the one thing that, like, kind of works if you sell out to it. Yeah. And with booze, though, it's, and I say this, too, in every talk I do, it's the only drug, like, you have to explain, like, why you don't do it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if everybody's around, like, snorting cocaine, it's not like you have to be, like, well, you know, I'm not doing the line today because yeah. like no one gives a shit. Yeah. But if it's booze, like, why aren't you drinking? Yeah. You're not fun. It's a cultural. And I think dudes, it's probably, we're so much dumber than women in general, but it's this like, whose dick is bigger culture thing with yeah. guys and drinking. Yeah. Cause if you don't drink this much, yeah. 
excuse my language, everybody would be like, well, you're just a pussy. Yeah. Like that's how we talk. Yeah. And it's just this contest of like who can get the most fucked up. Yep. And I would always try to win. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, such a, it's such yeah. a, I ain't drink you under the table or oh. I don't trust anybody that doesn't drink. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. And so like, how is the, like the transition, like right after, like, so, Hey, you know, Hey, I'm 40 years old now or whatever. And now you just don't drink yeah. and you're going like, what was the, because this is what I always have a conversation with people is you're doing the same things but you're not doing this one thing in those, like, here's yeah. my example. Like I would go, Hey, we're gonna go to this party and I'm going to, you know, drink two forties. We would tape them to our hands, like Edward 40 hands, yeah. slam a 40, slam a 40, and then cut off the duct tape and then go out, oh, you know, like yeah. Mickey's ice house, like nasty shit. But so I'm already fucked up, yeah. but that would always be like the protocol. Like I have to be drunk before I get to the bar yeah. and, or before I go to the house party. And for me it was that. And then if I'm going to, and I would chew for probably 10 years, like a tin a fucking day. Like, well, I'm going to chew when I do homework. I'm going to chew when I play video games. I'm going to chew after a meal. I'm going to, you know, it became, and so now I'm like, well, how do I play video games? Yeah. Like, how do I do homework if I'm not going to do this thing? Yeah. Like, so what's that like for you coming out of it? Like, because it was such a huge part of what you did. Well, that's a good question. You know, for things to change, everything has to change. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle that are getting sober because they think that they continue, they can continue to do some of the things that they had done while they were drinking, but you, you can't, I mean, there's not a lot of success when you're trying to quit drinking and then you go to a, a bar, right? I mean, if you stand in a barber long enough, you're going to get your hair cut. Yeah. So there's just things that you cannot do. And that's mostly everything for me. Everything had to change when I went on vacation, like anything that I did throughout my whole life, my daily routine, everything had to change. Right. And so there's three steps to getting sober. There's getting sober, there's staying sober and there's living sober. And those three, those are three very big steps on, you know, how do you kind of navigate life through each of those stages? And it's just really, you know, for people that are, you know, struggling with addiction, trying to get sober, you just have to go into it knowing that you have to change every aspect of your life or you're not going to be successful in sobriety. Well, in the way that you, you frame it in your mind, I guess. Yeah. Because people would be like, well, I can have one drink. And I'm like, that's, da- that's yeah. you can't though. No. It's, but people will sell themselves on that. Yeah. Like, well, I can just have one. Like, I had a dude on here. He, uh, certified health nut, uh, Troy. Yeah. Uh, Dave knows him. Great guy. F- f- like, six. He's fucking shredded. Um, same thing. He goes, he was doing like, I mean, I think fucking slamming eight balls and doing fucking LSD and all kinds of crazy shit. Yep. But he was drinking super hard and he was sober for a long time. And he's like, well, then I got on to like having like just one glass of wine a night. And then eventually I get like a DUI. Yep. And he goes, now I can never drink again. But it took him, same thing. I'm good. Well, maybe I can dabble into it and then I well, can't. That, again, that's the baffling part of this disease because your, your mind, you know, once the fog clears and you have clarity again, your mind will start to convince you, hey, you're okay, dude. Like, you're good. You recognize you fucked up doing this last night. You can't do that anymore. You learned, right? So maybe you can just have one. And that's where people get sideways in sobriety, right? They think they get, oh, maybe, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm okay, but you're not. You're not. How long did that happen for you? Or did it like where you would you you would try to talk yourself? Now, I don't want to say talk yourself into it, but did you ever have that where you're like, well, you know what, I could have one today and I'd be fine. I did. I was on a date, and this is when I relapsed. Um, I was on a date with this girl, and this was a long time ago. And we were having sushi, and I was sober, and uh, we were sitting there at the sushi bar together. And she ordered a glass of wine, and she looked at me. And she's like, you can't even just have one. And she does she know your story? She did. 
Uh, she different? didn't know my story the way I just told it to you. She didn't know the, <laughs> like all the minutia and everything, yeah. or like the hard details. But she maybe did she, know that maybe I was she sober. Wouldn't have said it. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um, Fuck. But she did know, and um, you know that's just. And I caved. I said, you know what? Yeah, I can. And and I attribute that because I wasn't doing the daily work that I needed to do to keep my mind right and healthy. And I wasn't going to meetings anymore. And I wasn't praying. And I wasn't you know doing all the things that you need to do to stay you know, your daily reprieve and keep that intact. I wasn't doing the work. So, you know, for guys like me, there's, it takes work and it takes daily, a daily uh, routine of things that I have to do to keep my mind right. And once I stop doing those things, then that's when the thoughts start to creep in and that's when I get vulnerable and that's, you know, that's when things get dangerous. And that was how it started. That's how it started. Yeah. And it was it just one drink that day? Oh, fuck no, man. <laughs> so it went, so no. it went from like... I mean, it went a, a zero to 150 in like three seconds, man. It was just, we were off to the races. So it's just like, you know, then we, then after that was, you know, we, we probably had six or eight glasses of wine there. And then we went to the next bar and drank there. And it was just a, you know, it was a bad night. But that's... So that. then like she gets to see like the... Oh, this is this yeah. is what it is. Well, I think she was probably just as much of a mess as I was, so it was like a misery loves company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird because like when I was younger, people would always be like, you know, once I'm done with college, I'm like, my body just was like shutting down because I felt so shitty from just like beating the fuck out of it. I'm like, no, man, just have a drink and be fun. I'm like, I don't think you know like what that like that's not a thing. Yeah. Like to be on like to have you on the loose. Yeah. You know, it's not a good <clears throat> scenario. No way. But it's a weird because we don't like. Like, there's food pushers and drink pushers, obviously, yep. but we don't ever do it with healthy shit, right? Like, obviously, I push athletic greens. Shout out. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's not like I'm going to be drinking it here and be like, hey, man, drink these athletic greens right now or, hey, eat the oatmeal with me. Yeah. But we do it with booze <clears throat> so much. Yeah. It's it, Why is that? Like, you ever thought about, like, what a weird, socially, obviously, but it's the only thing we really push on other people yeah. to join us in our fuckery. Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I would just say that that's just the baffling part of alcoholism and, or alcohol in general and the way our society operates as a whole, right? I mean, it's just, it's you know, part of it is like when guys go out and do it, it's like a bonding thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. You're right. And it's such a, it's like a, gra it's a gradual too. It's like how people become 100 pounds overweight. You don't gain 100 pounds in a day. No. Like when I started drinking booze, like there's no way I could drink. 25 beers <laughs> by the end though yeah like a crush yeah and it, you just push this threshold and the same thing with like anything if you're going to smoke or do drugs you start off like doing one or two things yeah it's progressive yeah and then it just yeah. all of a sudden you realize like man yeah like think about that the first time you drink booze drinking eight glasses of wine there's no oh, way yeah i mean it started off drinking a couple beers and then it ends up with you know at the end the end you fast forward 15 years and for me it was it was drinking, it was drugs, hard drugs, and, you know, other bad decision-making. So it was like, it was bad. I mean, but it, it progressed, and it takes time to progress. So it's a very progressive disease. Yeah, but now you're good. I'm good. Just one day at a time. One day at a time, that's right. What, um, is there, like, some you tell people? You know, like, if, I'm sure you, like, meet people or they ask, you know. Like, and obviously everybody's different, like, what works for them. But just committing to, like, a... A daily process, obviously, and having a like in a different environment, I'm sure, support system, all that. Of course, I don't. There's not a lot of people I associate with anymore that like are heavy drinkers. You know, I mean, it's just they're not. I keep my circle pretty small. My but wife dude, like, is like, you know, if you're 50 and you're still drinking heavy, yeah, are you just a fucking idiot? No, know. sorry, everybody. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, you know, to each their own, right? So people do whatever they want. But, but dude, like you know, for me, I just 
Yeah, I, I uh, you know, my wife doesn't drink either. So, you know, and most of the people I talk to are like into fitness and wellness and, you know, mental health and, and all those things. And, you know, the people that I have on my exec team at work are all same mindset. So, and then, like I said, there's a daily routine that I have that I have to do to, to keep myself in check. And if your wife wasn't sober, do you think it'd be way harder for you? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, would it, you, could you still be married to her, you think? Um, that's hard to say. You know what I'm know? saying? If she like was like a responsible drinker or if she was just like, Hey, once in a while I got to get fucked up. Cause no, it would just, that, that wouldn't work. It it would, would, I could never be with somebody that had that mindset. Like, Hey, yeah. like, you know, it, it, if she was a normal person, didn't struggle with the alcoholism or anything like even it, it, any mind altering substance. Right. I couldn't be with somebody that, you know, even used it socially or did that, but did those things socially. I, I don't think I would be okay. No, no, because it bond would just reel you back in. Well, it's just it's just not healthy for me to put myself in that type of situation. So, like the first time you go, like on a vacation, yeah. After your, we a lot of times we call it the, their second life here. Yeah. A lot of the people we meet, it's like this is their second wife and yeah. their second kids and shit. Yeah. So, like you know, your second life or third life, however you want to look at it. How is going on vacation for the first time or, or going out to dinner multiple times with maybe at that point you still have some like, I don't want to say your old friends, yeah, but people who are used to you being a different version or when you go on vacation, hey, like obviously you're going to go on yeah. Monday yeah. and then we go. My wife will probably drink every day, yeah. I would imagine. Um, you know, she'll have a glass of wine, do whatever. I don't need to drink every day. I don't give a shit. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. But how is that for you like the first couple times? You know, vacations were tough, I'll be honest, in the beginning, um, you know, because everything was centered around the drink, everything. And so when you're on vacation, it's just amplified it. Oh, this is going to be fucking awesome, drinking and being on the beach, right? Yeah. And so yeah, I'd be lying to you if I told you that, that I wouldn't think about it. And even uh, 100% honesty, uh, um, even today, like when we go on vacation, there's like this little thought that, that pops up, right? But I shut it down right away. So vacation's a big trigger. Um, but you know, listen, now I have tools in my tool belt and I know how to use them. And so when those thoughts come up, I just deal with them accordingly. Yeah. And you have a partner and I have a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it'd be, cause you're going to Italy. Yeah. Apparently people drink wine there. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're yeah. going to drink sparkling water. I, I, first of all, I think wine's gross. Yeah. Like I'm not a fan of it anyway. So I can't tell you what, if it's good or it's bad. I'm like, yeah. I just think it all tastes like trash. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, uh. I did think of that. I'm like, cause on vacation, that tends to be where that's most people's main activity Yeah, is wake up and just drink booze. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when we booked our, um, we booked our umbrella and our thing on the beach. And I think that's like day three or four or something like that. <clears throat> and there's this package that you purchase. It gets you like two beds, things and umbrellas. And where's this like a Malfi? Uh, yeah, it's in a Malfi coast. We do the so same thing. We're, we're going to go there awesome. and, and they give you, uh, the package, you get lunch and you get a bottle of champagne. And my wife jokingly said, well, we'll be in Italy. Right. And she was kidding, of course, but <laughs> yeah. she did allude to the fact that we could have a drink in in Italy, um, again, joking. But you know, what I do in those moments is I, I, I play the tape. I call it, I play the tape and I, I think about I play it out like what it what would it look like three hours later? What would it look six hours later, a day later, right? Yeah. And I just and then I play in my head. Okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get hammered. I'm gonna spend a ton of money. I'm gonna make an idiot out of myself. And so I do that, and then boom, it snaps me right back into where I need to be. Well, it'd be like if you could actually if you could watch it, 
Yeah. You know, like if someone like, like if we had cameras way back in the day, like I'm thankful there was no social media. Otherwise I'm sure it would have been canceled for all this fucking shit I did <laughs> way back then. Yeah. I go, but if you could see like your low lights of like, here's oh the dumb. God. And you'd be like, oh, okay. And then you probably, because you can't, because again, like you do something like we've hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. It's fucking terrible. I go, but then I like looked at pictures today and I'm like, uh, you know, I could do that again because it's been so long. Yeah. I forgot, forgot kind of how terrible it was. Yeah. And people deal with food. Like, hey, we're going to eat something. We know it's going to make us feel like shit, but not until the future. Yeah. So in the moment, it's awesome. But remember when we ate this three weeks ago, we felt like trash. Yours is the same thing with booze. Totally. It's like, can you harness that old shitty feeling <laughs> essentially and go back to it? That's yeah. wild, dude. So it's crazy because I guess that would be... You know, low light of the of your career, I guess, would be just getting fired and then going on a bender for yeah for twelve days. Yeah, no, I I I really enjoyed the company that I worked for at the time. It was the best company I ever worked for, um, and I learned more in that five year tenure that that I learned anywhere else that I had been. And you know, there's just uh, uh, it was very difficult for me to lose that job, but I deserved it, and I would have fired myself. And then when you come back, like, how long do you live, like, with your mom for to get your shit oh, together? I lived with my mom for a long time. I lived with my mom for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, and that was tough, not because I didn't want to live with my mom. I love my mom. She's part of the reason, why, you know, she is the reason why I'm here today. And both my parents are. My mom was a cheerleader for, you know, helping me get sober at the time. And, uh, but, you know, you're fucking 40 years old and you're living with your mom. That's, you know. It's, tough, it's in the tough. tough in the dating world. Tough mentally, tough everything. Every aspect of your life yeah. is tough, right? And, uh, yeah, but you, you do what you got to do. And I think that I probably spent a little bit too much time pushing this um, Herbalife business that I was trying to do at the time. But, again, man, I was just trying to figure out how to live sober. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out, all you know, what that looked like. Well, you're trying to survive like, and, life. And I didn't know, I didn't want to go back into the restaurant business because that is a breeding ground for guys like me. You know, I mean, that would be for a guy that's trying to fight, you know, fight, so fight to stay sober. It's not a really good environment to go back into. So that's kind of why I didn't do that. Although I knew I could maximize my earning potential and go right back into, you know, living by myself and making the money that I needed to make. But I also just didn't want to put myself at risk. It's like, uh, I mean, what's a worse place you could go? A casino, maybe? Like, you know, the, like. Well, that's pretty bad, too. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, there's I mean, not many yeah. places. And that's, and for people who don't know, like, you now are, you own basically, and you're part of these, they're bars. Yeah. Like, you, that's what it's you do. crazy, right? You're yeah. a dude who alcohol basically almost killed you, yeah. essentially. And now that's what you do. Yeah. Isn't that wild, It's though? fucking crazy. You know, and people ask me about that all the time. They're like, how does a guy that doesn't drink own a bar? And then my response is, it's the only way. I mean, listen, if I was doing what I was doing back then, there's no way I could, A, own these bars and then run the businesses the way they need to be ran. No. And, and you know, I know my place today. I have a team of people. My passion and my place is the administrative side of it, the financial side of it, the deal structures, the negotiations, you know, the leases and all that shit. I never go behind the bar. I never taste the drinks. It's not my place. I know my place. It's not that. You know, I have a team of people that focus on that. Um, I'm kind of like the the orchestrator, the quarterback. So. so how does it go from I'm living at home with my mom and I'm 40, which is not a real success story for most people. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, to you guys have Sip Coffee Beer House, mm -hmm. Sip Coffee Garage. Mm-hmm. 
36 below in the Rose Garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have four, four places. Four places, one more coming on with Sip in the airport, and then we have another motif is opening from probably the first quarter. That's another bar lounge at downtown that's coming online next uh, first quarter of the year. So basically like a dude who went through AA twice, almost died from booze, owns like five bars. Yeah. Isn't that's wild, dude. That's really so how does that even how does it even start? Because you're 40, and I don't don't take this the wrong way. You're 40, living with your mom, um, selling Herbalife. It sounds like a fucking <laughs> the shittiest life like possible, right? How does it go from that to this in ten less than ten years? That's wild, dude. Yeah, I don't. It's not probably. It's definitely not a process that i could coach somebody on you know i mean i no. think it's a combination of being at the right place in the right time and making you know some better decisions and um just kind of piecing things back together but it was definitely a gradual progressive process you know i mean i when i met my my now wife shiara um i met her around this herbal group of people and uh we we got to be pretty serious right and so i knew that that no girl was gonna want to you know, in the long run be with me if I was living with my mom and couldn't provide. And so, you know, my goal was just to, you know, maximize my earning potential, get my own place, stand on my own two feet. And that's really all I cared about at that time. Um, not only to do it for her, but also to do it for me so I could feel better about myself. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. And at that time I uh, had a friend that was opening a restaurant and um, I was, I was waiting tables there just to, you know, have some spending money because I wasn't making shit at Herbalife. Right? At 40 years old. Yeah, at 40. Damn. You, do, you do what you got to do, man, right? Yeah, so bro. I had bills to pay. So um, he needed help. And uh, it that turned into me taking over the restaurant for him. And I ran it as a GM because, you know, they, the hiring team that he hired had no idea what they were doing. So I helped him get that open and get, get the staffing hired and get it stabilized and and everything. So at that point, I found myself back in it, right? I'm back in it. And, uh, um, is it hard at first or no? No, I was having a lot of fun because, um, I had fun because the restaurant that he opened, it was just, it was kind of a shit show. And that was kind of my forte is taking distressed operations and turn them around again. Um, you're even, like the, you're the bar rescue guy. Yeah. I mean, even though despite my alcoholism and my problems, I was always good at what I did and I loved it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was enjoying that part of it. And then at that time, my wife was, um, you know, she had, dropped out of school to take care of her dad he had uh he had some health issues so she wanted to go back to school and I knew that and I said listen go back to school quit your job she was working at ASICS America over at the, the quarter selling slinging shoes and you know, she wanted to do something with her life too and I said I told her to go back to school let's move in together um I'll take care of us both and so that's what we did and I ended up getting another job with another um company Blue Star Resort and Golf, and I ran um, an operation for him down south. And I was making decent money, enough to put her through school. And and then uh, um, she's like, I'm never going to see you, am I, because you're working all these crazy hours. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, I'm back in it, you know. And, and I knew that something had to change because I got so fucking sick and tired of managing restaurants, right? I just touching tables and the day-to-day -day grind of running a restaurant. I just... I had gotten tired of that shit. What is the what is do. the worst part? The the employees? Um, the hours. I mean, yeah. for me, I mean, you you don't see it today because nobody wants to work. 
but weird, back, weird. back in my day, yeah. I was, you know, working 50, 65 hours a week. I worked weekends. I worked holidays. You know, I watched my life go by from the inside of a restaurant. So um, I knew that, you know, if we were going to have a meaningful relationship, that something on my end was going to have to change in terms of my career. But in the meantime, I was going to put her through school. And she did. She finished her degree at uh, ASU um, Communications. And once she got out of school, I got another opportunity to, um, well, I decided to just con- be a consultant because, like, I thought, well, I could do that. I could consult. And I was a little worried about it because I was worried that I wouldn't find consistent work. But SIP ended up being my first client. And I met one of the guys that was involved at the time in an AA meeting, interestingly enough. Yeah. And he goes, hey, we're going to open up this new SIP location. Come take a look at it. Is this so Old Town? This was on Shea and Scottsdale Road. We've since closed that location. But okay. I came on 11th hour, like a, they were supposed to open the next day. And I got in there and I'm like, time out, don't open. Uh, I pushed it back a week, got in there and moved some stuff around and, you know, made some real positive changes. And then the owner, Travis, is a good friend of mine. He's like, hey, man, how do we how do we get you to be a bigger part of this? And I said, well, give me, you know, give me an equity piece. And this is the salary that I'll need. And. So we did that, and um, so I came on board full time and took over operations for SIP, and uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history, I guess. From there, I I bought Travis out. I knew that he didn't really want to be involved uh, too much anymore. He's in medical sales and didn't really understand the business. And then, so him and I worked out an arrangement, ended up buying him out. And then uh, as we went on, uh, I bought a couple other big investors out as well. So. Yeah. And just bought into the stuff. Yeah. And just so, so I had the two, I ended up closing the one on Scottsdale and Shea. It was just too much overhead and uh, nothing right was about it. We were involved with a, another equity company that, that held the equity and they didn't, they made all the decisions in terms of how it was built out and everything and just didn't bring in the DNA that made SIP what it is today. And it was just this, you know, sterile looking Fox wannabe concept and it just didn't didn't jive so yeah. we closed it and I focused on the other two locations and kind of rebuilt the systems and processes and fired pretty much everybody bought a whole new crew that had buy-in and believed in my vision and and then uh pandemic 2020 hit we we yeah. had uh how was that it was brutal I mean shit it was brutal for everybody I mean it was just time of uncertainty because for people who don't know, like when you say like the sip places, the one sip coffee in Old Town is, well, they're both bars yeah. and coffee places, but a lot of people go to the one in Old Town. Yeah. They go in there, they work, they hang out, whatever. The one that's, was Indian School and in 36th Street? In Arcadia. Yeah. yeah. That one has a bar yep. below it. Yeah. Which is fucking wild. Yeah. Because it used to be a Jiffy Lube. Yeah. Because I remember mm-hmm. way back. Mm-hmm. And so you guys, so where they used to put, I guess they would throw the tires down there. Yeah. And that's, oil. that's yeah. now a bar. Yeah, one side is a bar. The other side is a kitchen. That's yeah. wild, dude. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's very inefficient. <laughs> At yeah. least the kitchen part of it. The bar is cool. For sure. But when I took over that location, there was another bar in there called Undertow, and they sublet from us. And then the pandemic hit. <clears throat> they made the decision to pull out of there. They had a location right next door, Century Grand. Oh, yeah. Uh, that they have two other concepts in, and they, were, um, they thought it would make more sense to them to – house everything over one roof and i was super excited because i mean i watched them just kill it down there for three years and i thought if there ever becomes a time to where we can take back that space then we're going to do it and so you know i got a call from the owner and 
August of 2020 and said, Hey man, we're going to pull out. The lease was coming up and, uh, I tried to contain my excitement. I mean, it's the worst possible time in the history of the world to entertain the idea of opening a bar. Like a speakeasy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, being as confined as it is, I mean, it's 600 square feet. There's 30 seats down there. It's tiny. It's like, so, and again, like with the COVID shit, like not stick, conducive at all to six that. feet apart. Yeah. Wild. But dude. I was super excited because I knew that I could do something really cool down there and, uh, and it would be ours. And, and so we did it and, and, uh, we knocked it out of the park. So cool. you, you basically like, uh, built your concept like during the pandemic down yeah. there. Yeah. Cause like for you, I'm sure you guys, is there a point where with the call, the COVID shit's going on? You're like, what the fuck dude? Like we're like this. This sucks. Shit. Yeah, but listen, I I knew that it sucked in the moment and when it was happening. But like, to me, I said to myself, this isn't gonna last forever. Like, you know, we'll build it out, and once it gets ready to open, this shit'll be over. And that's exactly how it worked out. You know, so I didn't ever like go down the rabbit hole of negativity. Like it sucked, like for Sip, because you know, and for everybody that was in it. But uh, you know, we got through it. We had to pivot. We had to change our you know platforms and our our business model a little bit, but I knew that the shit wasn't going to last forever. I mean, it lasted, I think a lot longer than people wanted it to, but by the time we were ready to open, we were, we were able to go a hundred, uh, you know, a hundred percent with it. So, and like, how did it affect like the business? Like during the pandemic, like people would just come and get coffee and that's pretty much it. Well, yeah. I mean, there were certain restrictions and laws that you couldn't, you know, you had to have 10 feet between tables and shit like that. And, you know, in the very beginning when, when everybody was shut down, we had to go to just a walk up uh, drive through model. And so we had to pivot and change our menu and our offerings to like cater to that kind of setting and crowd. But, um, and then, you know, the whole 10 feet thing, I mean, it was just a, it was a fucking shit show. Nobody knew what was right. Nobody knew what to do. The customers would come in and complain if we were wearing masks, they were going to complain. People would come and complain if we weren't wearing masks. It was like, there was nothing that we could do right. Or anybody that could do right. I mean, it was always somebody that was fucking pissed off about, you know, this guy didn't wash his hands right away, or this guy has his right glove off. I mean, it was just, it was a shit show. God, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least everybody here is cool. But, yeah, that shit sucked, dude. Yeah. It was, and you know the one thing where, and the same thing, I had every dude here, every entrepreneur dude that I know here is like, hey, man, I lived through a bunch of different shit. He goes, this is the dumbest of it all, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But this will pass. And the one, I remember when, you know, I won't say his name, Dr. Dipshit was like, hey, you know, we might never shake hands again. And I'm sitting there <laughs> listening to this. I'm go, dude, and, it, and I'll go back to my glory days. When I'm 18 or 19, dude, and I'm shit-faced. Yeah. I'm trying to like have sex with like whoever's in the room. You know, you're telling me I'm not going to shake hands anymore. I'm like, I just knew this was such, I, I could talk about the pandemic stuff all day oh, because yeah. I was so like, oh God, it's sucking. And then again, we do something where digitally we make majority of the money. So like it's, I would survive forever, but I'm just watching every business like not be able to do shit. And I'm like, especially in like the bar business. Yeah. Like that's a majority, I'm assuming like revenue wise, like. Yeah. That's where you guys crush. Well, you're so far along, though, too. But, like, a lot of gym owners, I mean, that hit them hard, too. Like, they had to shut down. You couldn't, even after businesses were opening up, gyms had to stay closed. Oh, dude, right? and, like, multiple times. Yeah. And they're like, well, the worst place you can be is the gym. I'm like, bro. Yeah. You know what we, you know That's what we, the best place you can be, man. You know what we do here? Yeah. Yeah, well, even, like, friends of ours where, you know, they might do, like, what I do, where the, the internet revenue is, you know, generally, like, way higher than like what a, a brick and mortar could produce, but they have a whole team of people here. Yeah. And like, well, for us to, to make it happen, like, you know, we got to cover 20 K a month, just in expenses to do yeah. whatever. And they're like, well, uh, how long can a normal person bleed 
five, 10, 15, 20, 25, $30,000 a month. Like yeah. a normal, and especially like these most, no offense, most gym owners yeah. are broke as fuck. Yeah. Like, so they can't lose 10 grand. Mm-hmm. And so you would sit and watch it. And I'm like, man, that's just, it was a rough, Yeah. it was a rough go. It was rough. And then the government says, Hey, we, we have a, a solution. We have a loan that you, if you want to survive and you want to stay open, you can take it out and, you know, we'll give the yes loan. It's a 30 year term, whatever. But it was a, Hey, you have to shut down, but if you want to reopen and be able to reopen, then this loan is an option. So it's like, it was kind of shitty. If you look at, I mean, I guess you try to have a positive perspective and listen, we're open today because of the government and the things that they were able to do and some of the grants that we got, but it was, I think it was just a shitty fucking situation for the world, right? Nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew which way was up or which way was down or what the fuck the mass did for you or what. Yeah. Oh dude, it was, it was the worst. And I, like, I haven't talked to a lot of people who do, cause you work in the service business, right? Just like us. Yeah, I never thought of that. Like, I would go to our coffee place. Like, Echo Coffee is close to our house. Like, yeah. I'd go in, but yeah, it was weird, dude. It was very weird. That sucked. Yeah. Uh, so if it, if I was gonna say, like, is there like uh, the biggest struggle, like working in the in the in the booze business? Not like personally, but just in general. Um, obviously, I have Delo here tell me all the nightmare stories <laughs> of like you know, cause, but again, yeah. where he's talking about is these clubs and yeah, the clubs, all this wild shit. But obviously, it's like what you guys do. Like you have to have like a license, like yeah. to, to serve booze and yeah. do your things. Mm-hmm. Is that a pain in the ass, or is it cool? I mean, the licensing itself. So we have a couple different licenses for the cocktail lounges, thirty-six below in the Rose Garden. We have a. It's called a six license. Those are super expensive. You can sell as much alcohol as you want to sell. Uh, and then for SIP, we have a 12 license, which is a restaurant license. And that license is a 60-40. 40% of your sales have to be food and the other 60 uh, liquor. Um, the licensing side isn't so bad. It's just, you know, properly edu- educating people on liquor laws and, you know, making sure we're doing the things that we need to do to protect ourselves. But, you know, thankfully for us, our, our locations are a little bit more upscale uh, then, uh, you know, the clubs in Old Town Scottsdale, you know, we don't deal with that type of crowd. You know, we don't have people coming in and puking all over the place and getting in fights and stuff. And that's, I can honestly say we, knock on wood, we've never had a fight. I mean, I think we might have had one person that puked in the garbage can and that happened last weekend but no sure that, yeah i mean we, we don't really deal with that where shit. do they puke at 36 that we actually have these collection bins we work with cloud covered streets that's a charity and um we collect um stuff for the homeless that we give to them so yeah. some a-hole puked in one of those and no yeah. shit but that's like literally that's probably the only time that i can remember at least recently that that's happened because how late are the your place is open not super late during the week midnight and then uh on the weekends one I guess. Yeah, yeah it's real. Yeah. So shit happens. Because what is the Rose Garden? Is it downtown? Downtown. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. just a... It's a high-end cocktail lounge. Yeah. yeah. See, a little different demo. Yeah. Than the yeah. old the old town yeah. crowd. Uh, what is the liquor license expensive? hundred some thousand? Oh, fuck it. Uh, Series 6 is going for 260000 right now. So if you were to open up a bar, like yeah. right off the bat, like you got to drop them 260000 Boom, 260000 yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because this has been a recent thing with liquor licenses and how much they've increased in cost. Um, Because like a year and a half ago, I think I bought the one for Rose Garden. It was a hundred. I bought it at one hundred and sixty thousand, and now it's worth you know two sixty, which is crazy. So you're seeing a lot of places that are were maybe more bar forward or focused in the past incorporating now a, a food program. So they can get away with the uh, the license, which makes total sense, right? I mean, it's like you know you don't have to splurge for a, a six six, incorporate food, 
And uh, so that's, that's, you know, one of the things we're doing with our new spot is we're going to get a, a, a 12 license and incorporate a really cool food program to go along with it. So now we're becoming more restaurant focused, which is not what I would prefer, but, you know, it saves some money out of the gate. So, so which one is harder, the food? Like if, it's like what's harder, a bar or a restaurant? Oh, a uh, restaurant is way harder. Yeah. There's just, I mean, there's more moving parts in this industry than any other industry out there. You know, when you introduce a food component, a long bar, I mean, the, the thing about restaurants is the margins are so small, right? Because you've got food and you've got operating expenses and you've got labor and rent and blah, 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 the list goes on. And, you know, your margins are not nearly as well, uh, as good as they are with alcohol. So, you know. I ran restaurants for a long time, and now that I own bars, I'm like, fuck, man, it's so it's so much easier because the margins are so better. So there's more, you know, margin for error. Because a because a beer is like what eight bucks, nine bucks, ten. Well, bucks yeah, but it's the liquor side that you make the money on, and that's where the margins are at. So it's it's a no brainer. I mean, I would much rather do just bars because it's a lot easier to make money. But um, yeah, you know. It is crazy, like the markup, and I'm assuming that's how most of these places here, like as you probably, I mean, obviously Scotts are like all the steakhouses. Oh yeah. I mean, they they their food margins have to be better, right? Yeah. But it's the booze that. Well, really it's relative, you know. Their purchasing, their purchases are higher. You're you're purchasing a higher cost item, so sure. It's, it's just it's it's relative there. But yeah, they probably you know they their margins are pretty good there. Yeah, it's just wild to see like how you go somewhere and like a beer is ten bucks. Yeah. And like or. Yeah, where were we? Like, yeah, Royal Palms. Um, T. Cooks is there, and then there's, like, a bar oh, in there. Yeah, yeah. I remember just being there, like, over Christmas, and it was, like, they have, like, their, you know, their booze list. And it's, like, are the whiskey two-ounce pours? I think they're two-ounce pours. Yeah. And it was, like, Lagavulin, $38 <laughs> for two ounces. I go, yeah. a fucking whole bottle is, like, 80 bucks. Yeah. I'm, like, what is going But that's the price to play there. Yeah. And I guess when people are there, like, you have a drink, your four brain shuts off, it's dark, your inhibitions are lower, and you're just, like, hey, man. Pay if you know people are paying it. Yeah, they're paying it, especially that first year. I mean, in 2021, when 36 Below opened, it was Arizona, Texas, and Florida, only three states that were open. Everybody else is closed down. Shit was wild. So you here. had people like moving here, coming here, vacationing when normally they wouldn't come in vacation. I mean, people were flocking to Arizona just so they could go out and spend money and just be outside. So you talk to anybody in t that's in the restaurant bar business in 2021, they will tell you it was the most explosive year they probably ever had. Same for you. Yeah. It was weird because normally here, like in July and August, like I can just go to a restaurant. Yeah. You couldn't go anywhere. No. Like I try to go to El Choro and it's like, no, yeah. it's August. Yeah. I'm like, I can't go to El Choro at seven o'clock in August. It's 300 <laughs> fucking degrees. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So you guys crushed, obviously. Well, yeah, and that, and just to your point on the pricing, I mean, people were, I mean, think about it. They stayed home. They couldn't do anything, so the money just collected in the bank account. And then once they got this opportunity to go out, they went batshit crazy, and then money was not an issue. I mean, people were, you know, paying whatever to do whatever they wanted, vacation, drink, eat dinner, whatever it was. It just money wasn't didn't seem to be an option. And you guys have seen it kind of just. I would imagine continue maybe with the influx of people here, like it's still going well. Um, not nearly as well as 2021. For sure, it's it's uh it's still busy, but then we had you know gas prices that came to a head with inflation last year, so you know the summer oh, people are fucked. Dude. The summer was last summer was the toughest that we've ever had in my experience in the hospitality business in Arizona. No shit. Um, just because of those two reasons, gas prices and in inflation, but um, you know, I think with the influx of people that are moving here and the semiconductor plant that's going in, I think we should have a pretty strong summer. 
but again, you know, people are back to like crunching, you know, being, we're not seeing as, you know, people spending as much money as they were before now. Yeah. Check well, averages are down and, you know, traffic's still up, but people are just, uh, you're spending less money now. Yeah. It's, um, it's going to be a shit show yeah. for sure. But here we are. Here we are. Uh, what is like one, obviously since you've done this for a long time now, like is there for people who are listening, like I think people are like, oh, you know, I like, I like to drink or I like bars. Maybe I'll own a bar. Like if you've never done it, like how hard, like how hard is it to do? Well, first of all, that's crazy to me. That's like me saying, I'm going to go fucking build an airplane right now. But I, dude, you know what you and people do in fitness? I like to exercise. I want to like, I want to own a fitness business. Right. I'm like, it's, that's not the same thing. Yeah. But they, but that's the mentality of someone who doesn't know. And they go into it with their nose open. Right. Like when you describe, Hey, I don't like if it was one place, if it was, you know, sip coffee in old town, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Because I, but I run businesses. Yeah. Like, so I know how terrible it is. I wouldn't want to do it. You couldn't pay me enough. Dude. Right. There's no way. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a nightmare. Yes. It's got its challenging times. I mean, but listen, if, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't be doing it. It, it is definitely challenging. Um, but there's a business side to everything, every business. There's an admin side to every business. If you don't understand finances, you don't understand that business thoroughly, I would not suggest getting into something. Like, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to, like, open up a gym, right? Because I just, I've never, well, I have done that before. But um, maybe a bad example. Like I said, I wouldn't go try to build a fucking airplane because I've never built an airplane before, no. right? So why would I go try to build an airplane if I don't have the tools or even the blueprints to build an airplane? It's just not something I would do. So it's crazy to me. And again, as I mentioned earlier, that this, this industry has more moving parts than any other industry out there. There's so many things to consider. And so when people say, yeah, I'm going to go open a bar. Have you ever done it before? No. Cool. Well, good luck. Or like a restaurant. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. And the failure rate has to be what? Damn near 100%. Uh, in I, don't the know, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's up there. It's got to be. Well, like in fitness, the average coach is in it for like about 18 months. Okay. And then they bounce. Yeah. Because it's just, it's a grind. It's the same thing. Like if you're not going to. But what would you attribute that to? I mean, the the hours for one, yeah. I think suck for most people. They're trading time for money. Yeah. They don't understand infrastructure and how to scale and they don't treat it like a business. Yeah. It's like yeah. why most people online, especially because there's no. The online stuff, the failure rate's probably damn near 100% because there's no, the barrier for entry is easy. Yeah. There's no major buy-in. At least like if you were to come here, now the prices are insane in Scottsdale, but if you're like, hey, Jeremy, I'm going to lease your space, this unit right here, let's say, I don't know, seven grand a month? Yeah. Well, now you're in seven Gs for sure. Whatever equipment you're going to buy, there's a hundred. So you know, like, I'm saying like, but it's seven grand for three years. Yeah. Every month, plus yeah. cams, triple net, whatever. Yeah. Like, you're fucking in it, dude. You're and in it. You, then you figure out like, man, I got to do a lot of fitness yeah. to, to, do, in the, to make money. Yeah. And so I think the reality hits them in the face of like, wow. Or, and again, you know, if you're young, you know, especially like in the bar restaurant business, just like fitness, you can be flexible mm -hmm. while I'm older, not married. Like I always say, you know, when I describe this here, I go how fake this is like what I've done here. And I don't mean that like I'm better than anybody because I'm not, I go, but like, we own this shit. Mm -hmm. I go, I talked my wife into buying a fucking warehouse before buying an, another fancy house for her. Mm -hmm. I go, are you going to talk your wife into that shit when you're in your 20s? She's going to tell you you're fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. I go, and then come film you like on the weekends <laughs> and like deal with your, you know what I'm saying? Like it's such a, you need a partner, you need a team. And I think when people start to take on that, like I have to eat shit mm -hmm. for so, like for me, like I wasn't living at home with my mom when I was 40. I go, but I drove a 2008 Honda Accord yeah. for 12 fucking years and I saved every penny so I could buy this versus yeah. buy something else. Yeah. And I go, 
that's most people don't want to do that. Yeah. And fitness well, for sure. Well, there's, you know, and this goes for every business, but you have to be a good steward of finances. Right. And for me, when I was took over SIP and we had the, I closed the one location and I had the two locations, um, there was, there were weeks and sometimes months would go that I wouldn't pay myself because the business had to survive. If the business didn't survive, then I wouldn't be getting a paycheck in the long run. Yeah. Right. So there's so many things you have to do. Um, so many sacrifices that you have to make that people just aren't, wouldn't be willing to do. And if you're not willing to make those sacrifices, don't fucking do it. And that's like, but your partner has to too. Yeah. Cause they're oh, partners suck, but unless that's your wife. Yeah. So yeah. I'm saying like, you know, but I'm saying like you sign your wife on, like I always joke, like it's like a prison sentence. Yeah. She's in until I'm like yeah. not doing this. Like yep. she's stuck with it. Yeah. So hopefully she enjoys it. You know, yeah. like if you're good enough, it'll make money. So like yeah. then it all works out. But for a long time, it just, yeah, it sucks, dude. It sucks, but it, you know what's great is looking back and saying, hey, I did that to get us to where we are today, and that's the beauty of it. But again, people only see the, the luxurious part of it, and they don't see the fucking work that you – they don't see you work in the trenches or understand that whole part. They just think that it's, oh, it's going to be great because, you know, it's luxurious to own a bar or a restaurant and cool, whatever. But so, they knew the work that you had to do to put into it on a day-to-day basis. I think that most people would probably choose not to do it. Uh, well, be, and that's always like, you know, they say, you know, if you love what you do, you, you never work a day in your life, which is not true. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. You know, you're working a hundred hours a week for yourself. So you don't work 40 hours a week for somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's the more in line with what reality is. How, like how long, like, do you get into it where you start to, you know, take ownership of these places where it, it starts to make money? Like, and maybe it makes a little bit of money right away, but like when it becomes like, okay, now this is kind of moving. Is it a year, two years, three years? Um, you know, I think each place is different. Like for me, like if I open a place and um, I think there's a big misconception with, you know, is it making money? Like when people say, oh, I heard it takes like three years to start making money. No, if you're not making money right away, then you need to get the fuck out, right? Well, I'm saying like, who, right? first of all, who can lose money for three years? Yeah, I don't know. But like, I think that most people need to understand is, if you, it takes, it takes a certain amount of time to get your initial investment back. But if the place isn't turning a profit, like relatively soon, then it's time to like take a hard evaluation of what the hell's going on inside the four walls. Right. So, yeah. you know, all the two cocktail lounges that I recently opened, they were making money from day one. Um, now I'm still waiting to get my return back on one of them, but you know, that takes time, but if they're not making money, you know, I would say inside of three to six months, then you need to reevaluate. Well, yeah, because I think when we started doing this, um, like for real, like when I, I had one corporate job ever and I walked out um, like the end of like 2009. You walked out? Um, well, I just, I told him I was going to quit. Um, so like the last, like I took all of my vacation days. Which one do you get to keep? No, sick days. Sick days. Sick days. Um, so I would like we'd be sick um, yeah. and just not come in and just like build the website and do all the stuff. And uh, it's crazy because my old boss actually still comes here on Saturdays. Yeah. This is like 15 years ago. It's wow. just fucking wild. Um, and he was super cool. So like towards the end, he could tell I just mailed it in. So I would just build the site like at work. But I remember the first month um, we made 342 bucks. Nice. Um, and that's like gross. Yeah. Um, not net. So my, my rent was like three grand. Yeah. So I'm like negative 2,700 bucks. Okay. And I'm like, okay, well this needs to fucking turn around real quick. Cause I probably only got like, 2000 bucks to go here. Yeah. So that's where it's like, you need to, I think you just had, you, and I'm not saying 
obviously don't do it like I did it with no money and no right. resources and no fucking education. I go, but you can only hemorrhage money for so long to where like, hey, man, maybe this is not for me. Yeah. You can't give away your whole life for a dream that's not going to, no. you know. No. Is there a, like, I guess there's, you know, what's the, the biggest constant challenge like you have with running the, any of the places? Staffing. Yeah. Staffing 100%. And it's like 100% progressively worse or no. Yeah. It's, it's gotten, I mean, I'd say we've recently just been going through some ducks and valleys, um, with it, but I mean, kitchen back to house crew still remains our biggest challenge, but you know, now you've got mental health, right. That I know nothing about and, and I didn't deal with, you know, even five years ago, you never held a, you never heard of somebody saying, Hey, I, I can't come in today because I'm really struggling with uh, my mental health and I'm having a panic attack and I can't get, I, I just can't get out of this negative place that I'm in. Right. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I've never dealt with it. I don't understand it. I never, you know, even five years ago, it's like, it's almost become like a recent thing over the last five years, maybe 10 years. I don't know. But that is our biggest problem. Like people that can't work because they're struggling with either, you know, drug addiction, mental health, or whatever, just that they, they just don't want to fucking work. But that's that's our biggest problem. That's anybody's biggest problem right now, regardless of what industry you're in. I mean, you know, I went to the car wash last week and there was like, you know, it, was, it took an hour and a half for me to get my truck washed because they were so short staffed. And I asked the lady, I'm like, what's going on? Oh, I'm short staffed. I only have half the people that I would normally have. And, and that's that's the issue everywhere. So it's, it's by far our number one problem. That's why, I mean, is it just... I wonder too, like, and there's so many, to see like how technology will shift and change things and like what people can do, like where all that goes, you know, because you need people to work. Right. So where are they going is my question. Where the fuck are they going? You know, the, the rare, like I always say this, like the rare people, you know, to me, it's the, it's more like the college stuff where you'll see, I think enrollment decline because there's other jobs you can do without getting the same education and you can make the same money on the internet if you go super hard in it. But it's a, it's a small number of people, right? Yeah. Like if you don't want to work at Enterprise and rent fucking cars, yeah. you can get on, you know, the internet and talk about fucking Ninja Turtles and yeah. make 60 grand a year. And if you're cool with it and you don't got to live a fancy life, like you can do that. I go, but you got to go super hard on Ninja Turtles to make <laughs> it happen, you know? So yeah. I guess it's, but for everybody else, like the low barrier entry stuff, like you need to, a place to earn money up front. Yeah. Especially if you want to work in like in the restaurant industry or the bar industry. I'd imagine most people start off like towards the bottom, yep. work their way up, do whatever. But I don't know. Like it's, it, that's probably the one thing I do here for most people. It's, it's hard to get good people to not only just come to work, but then stay. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of get it, I guess, I guess, you know, if I had to blame something, it'd be social media, dude. Like, listen, we can jump on social media and post a picture and get, instant gratification right away right through a like right yeah and we've been so we've gotten so as a society in my opinion we've gotten so accustomed to that whole process of instant gratification we've carried it over to every area of our lives including work like if they can't get that fucking raise today they'll walk across the street and quit without notice to make a quarter a quarter more you know somewhere else so that's that's the that's how bad things have gotten. Well, because your guys' industry is similar to like the guys here we have here with the trades. Right. Or like, uh, I got a dude here who runs a trucking company. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah. Like he might pay these guys 80 grand. And he's like, Jeremy, the dude's not worth 80 grand. But the guy across the street will pay him 81, yeah. 82. So now I'm in a bidding war for a shitty guy. Right. And he goes, that's not a good place to be in for anybody. No. 
and that's tough because you guys you got people working shitty hours yeah relatively uh it's not super easy work to do Mm-mm. and you can't pay them a trillion dollars because it's not a super complicated task they're doing yeah that's rough bro. i mean i had this server in this downtown I had the server come to me and she goes uh we were we were short staffed for a long time and so she was kind of wearing a lot of hats on the floor spread thin and she would be like you know have the whole restaurant to serve and then she was seating people and she came to us and she she said, "Hey, uh, I want to I want a five six dollar raise because I'm doing all these things and per hour." Yeah. Do they understand like a normal like a full time job is two thousand eighty two hours? Yeah. A, a year. Yeah. So six bucks times that is like thirteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty big fucking percentage of yeah, probably absolutely, what you make. Absolutely right. And so like, but we're held hostage by these guys to an extent, right? Because it's like if you don't do it, they walk. They're like, "Fuck you, I'm out of here." You know, so but what do people to, do for money? Like that's 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 did, the baffling part of it. Like, what do they fucking do? Where do they go? What are they doing? If they're not working, what are they doing? Are they suffering from mental health and they're taking drugs? And maybe that's what's driving homelessness is people just like are saying, fuck it. And they're just leaving and not working at all. And, you know, who knows? I do think the drugs for sure. Yeah, I do think all that. But it's wild that you cash because imagine like if you get paid somebody 20 bucks an hour and now they want 25. Yeah, that's a pretty significant pay increase yeah. right well it's yeah. like if i was yeah. making 400k a year and i'm like i need now 450 yeah well fuck bro it's yeah. a pretty big bump dude pretty big yeah. that's wild dude yeah yeah that's i'm sure that's the same for most bars and restaurants in the valley like i'm sure all yeah. the, the owners yeah. probably feel the same thing yeah i do um i talked to a lot of friends obviously in the business and you know we share the same same issues it's crazy too like not to get off topic but like how expensive like real estate is now to live here yeah. And yet you have so much of the economy here specifically is built around tourism. Yeah. Well, you can't. My wife and I always say, like, you know, the people who like work at the Ritz Carlton, a lot of them can't afford to live by the Ritz Carlton mm-hmm. or even stay there, which you're kind of getting that now because like the cost of living is so high, yet it's hard to live close to where you work because you don't make that much money. And like now we're in this weird space, especially here because yeah. everything is tourism. Right. That's everything that drives here. Yeah. And you're seeing it too, which is wild. So that that's an, another reason probably what's driving. I mean, listen, if somebody's working a minimum wage job and they go to try to get an apartment and that their apartment and their rent is X amount of dollars and their phone and food and taxes and by the time they get their che- paycheck, there's nothing left, man. So no. I get it. I get it. It's tough out there. Uh, it's, just, it's challenging all the way around. How long do you keep people for typically? Like it just depends. Like people stay with you guys for a year. Um, depends on the roles, I guess, right? Yeah, it depends on the roles. I mean, in the in the management side, they stay longer because it's more career oriented, right? Like, what's a bartender stay? Uh, you know, our our bartenders have been very low turnover on the bar side because they do so well, right? Oh, they crush. I mean, Thirty six below. I mean, it's everything's. Uh, we got you know, they make great money. It's a small staff, and you know, we have two bartenders at most on any on any given night, so they they kill it down there. Yeah. So very low turnover on bartenders. Um, Baristas, we, we go through those quite a bit, and we have a lot of turnover on baristas because it's just like a, it's just a stepping stone. It's a phase they're going through. They're going to school, or they you know, they're moving on to do different things. They're getting promoted. They're graduating. They're you know having a side job that they're going to start working full time at or whatever. There's a lot of reasons. So the turnover, it's a little bit more acceptable, and we get it. But um, the baristas are actually the easiest position to hire for. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, we see it too. Like, well, well, some places like you'll have the same one for like years. Yeah, which is cool because yeah. I walk in, don't say shit, and they just yeah. give me my drink, which is nice. 
But yeah, it would be. I would think that would be harder. But I yeah. guess enough people want to do yeah, it. Old Town Scottsdale, we've we've been able to keep a hold of you know those people. The staffing over there has been with us for quite a bit of time, and now we recognize how important a healthy culture is, right? Because you know people can go work anywhere, but what sets us aside from you know another restaurant group it's the culture and so we really work hard to promote a healthy and and fun culture which you know everybody hopefully wants to be a part of well yeah because you do shit that like normal people don't do like if your people are struggling like you guys help them out you do different things that like a normal place doesn't do yeah like if you work for no offense like whatever corporation target walmart whatever no one's helping you out dude right like it's corporate nobody gives a shit yeah but you guys, because it's so, like, I don't want to say family-oriented, but kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's my wife and I and my partner, Mo, and, you know, there's a small group of us, and we're, we're family, you know. And your wife, like, works in all the stuff, too? Hell, yeah. 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 My, my wife has a marketing background, so she worked for a home builder here in Arizona, top three in the nation, and so she had a marketing background, and when we had our son, uh, she didn't really want to go back to work because she wanted to spend more time with him. And I said, well, you can quit your job and you can either go back and work for, for them and help build them their dream or you could join me and we could build our own dream. So we put our heads down and decided to go all in on our businesses and we've never had to look back. That's tight, actually, yeah. and helpful. Very. She's awesome and we get along great. And, yeah, it is a family environment for sure. What is, like, the, I guess, like, the one positive thing? Obviously, there's a lot of shit, but, like, what's the best thing for you, anyway? The best thing about just everything? Yeah, just being, not, being an entrepreneur. I mean, like, for me, it's like, I can do what I want. I yeah. can say what I want. No one can tell me shit. I, I would say the best thing is there's not some guy that sits in an office that decides my worth. Yeah. That's the best thing, you know. And as tough as it is to, you know, with inflation and gas prices and, you know, with uh, how much everything is, you know, you have a salary job at 100 k By the time your mortgage paid and your two-car payments are paid or whatever, insurance and phones, there's really not a lot left over, right? But no. your ceiling is only this high. You're only going to pay so much. If you're an entrepreneur, man, you get to decide. And I wake up and I have a lot more choices than maybe most people do that have to go, you know, punch the proverbial time clock. And that, that, there's nothing against that. Listen, I did it for a long time. And the benefit to that was I didn't have to take that stress of that job with home with me. So there's a lot more that now stress and things that I have to deal with. But I, like I said, I get to wake up and I have a lot more choices now. I can decide if I'm going to go to work. I can decide if I'm going to go play. I can decide if I'm going to go on vacation. And when I do go on vacation, I get to decide how long I'm going to stay there, how much money I'm going to spend, how much money I'm going to make. Like there's so many benefits. Well, your brain is, I'd rather eat shit and die and live with my mom again than <clears throat> didn't go work for someone else. No shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, well, I say it all the time on here. I'm like, I would do this. I would do all the things I would still, if I had to do everything, the app, the podcast, the speaking, the running the gym, all everything in that and everything in between, I do it for forty grand a year. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm like, if I was happy, like I would do that because I know if Lifetime called me tomorrow and said, Hey man, we'll give you two million bucks to move to Omaha next year no, and work here, I'd be like, you know, you can keep that shit, dude. Yeah. For me. And I think when you do this long enough, your brain becomes free. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is like you look at things like not everything's an opportunity, but you understand the opportunity cost of it where, okay, here's a project or maybe here's something I want to do. And either that's for me or it's not for me, but my brain is free to think about that. Yeah. Where if you work in a corporate job, at least for me early on, it was like, well, this is what I do. This is where my paycheck comes from. And I don't really have any other options. Yeah. And you're free in a way. Now you, again, you earn the right to be free. Yeah. Cause it's not easy. Yeah. And I think for most people, and this is not a, a knock 
for most people working for somebody else is probably the best route unless you really know yourself because mm-hmm. it comes on a personality like yeah. i don't want to manage 35 people right like thank the lord we have the internet and i can do the things that we get to do but you have to know like hey do i like to manage people like do i like to take risks yeah. how much do i like to take how much stress am i willing to chew on how much shit am i willing to eat yeah. in certain areas of life because it's not always you know it's awesome now yeah but some days some some days you know what i'm saying like some <laughs> yeah. some days yeah. it sucks but because for, for you you get all the you know whatever whatever cup you need filled off of like, well, I own this, I own this, I own this. And it sounds cool or whatever. Maybe that does something for you. Maybe it doesn't, but you take, you get all the glory for yeah. sure, but you eat all the shit too. I eat all the shit and I don't care about the glory. You know, I'm not that person. That, I'm not a, a showy. Hey, look at me in the spotlight. Matter of fact, I, I, anytime I get to, um, uh, opportunity to be on TV, I always try to pick somebody else. Cause I don't, I don't like being in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, for me, it's just all the things that you just said, like, you know, and, and I think also too, is like the, the beauty of, um, and this is probably the biggest difference between an entrepreneur and someone that is not, is that, you know, an entrepreneur will fucking find a way to make something happen regardless. If I'm working at a job and a nine to five and, you know, I run into an obstacle and maybe my company tells me that I can't do it this way or whatever, you know, as an entrepreneur, I will find a fucking way to make whatever I want to happen, happen. And that's what I love. I love that. Well, because you care about it more than anybody else does. Yeah. Even if you've got awesome people who work for you. Yeah. They care about it, but not the way you do. Yeah. I describe it like it's like a person. Yeah. It's like you built it to this thing and you care about it like it's, and it sounds weird, but you care about it like it's a human. Yeah. It's like a baby. You got to nurture it and bring it to life and feed it and feed it and feed it. And, you know, I, I would never go backwards as, and, you know, I'll, I'll raise my son and, and teach him how to be an entrepreneur and say, Hey, go, go figure out what you want to do. Whatever it is you want to do, go work in corporate America for three to five years, learn how to do it. All the inner workings of a fortune 500 company or whatever, and then go do it, go open your own business and do it yourself. Cause you will have way more freedom and you will enjoy your life a hundred times better. In my opinion. Now, again, that's not any knock on people that have the nine to five and punch the proverbial time clock that works for them. That's great. But for me, I found more meaning in my life than being able to do what I do on my own terms rather than some a-hole sitting in an office deciding what my worth is. Well, and it's like you like to do it when you want to do it. Like for me, like, will I work hard? Yeah, I'll fucking die if I need to do something. But only if it fits me and my day and how I do it. Now, I structure my day the way that I want to. But if someone's like, hey, you have to do this report or do this at 10 o'clock, if I don't want to do it at 10... I don't want to fucking do it at 10. Yeah. I mean, I'm motivated today to do it. Mm-hmm. So I want to do it in this way. But for some people, I do think if there is a better for most, and obviously you're at a different point now than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the work-life balance for most people in a corporate job is probably significantly better yeah. than the entrepreneurial world. Yep. For, Absolutely. Not forever, yeah. I don't think, but for... A long ass time. Yeah. And I have to be careful with that, you know, because I'm an addict. I mean, I, I don't want to say I am an addict because I'm not. I, I believe our words have power and affirmations and all that. So I try not to speak that way. But I have to recognize that I do have these addictive uh, characteristics and yeah. traits. So it is very hard for me to turn it off. You know, I'll come home from a long day and first thing I do when I walk in is I'll jump on my laptop and respond to an email. So I really have to be aware and recognize the importance of turning that switch off and finding the balance because it's hard to do man especially when you you know when you do what we do and you have a business that that shit never stops right so you just got to know when to say when 
Well, it's like the things that make you good are the things that drag you down. Yeah. Like that's like, obviously you don't like in fitness, like all of us who are like this fit, something's wrong with us. Yeah. Like there's, we have a problem. Like we're trying to do something like yeah. with it. Yeah. And so we're addicted to it. Yeah. And like the, in a, in a really healthy way, some way times unhealthy way, but like, that's what we do for our business. And mm. th- those things make us great in it, but also drive you fucking nuts. Mm. Cause there's probably not a day where you go by that you don't, even if you be on vacation, my brain, something will pop in. Oh, we could do this. We could yeah. try this. I'll see something. I'll write it down. I'll make a note, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know. Like for my wife, like I think when she goes on vacation, she's just there. Yeah. Like she doesn't give a shit about what goes on. I'm assuming. Yeah. You know, cause she doesn't check email. She doesn't look at, and I will obviously, yeah. and it's just easier. That's my process. But my point is, I don't think there's a day where my brain has been free in the last 13 mm-hmm. years of this. No. And I don't think it ever will be, uh-uh. which I'm okay with it Yeah, for the most part. Sometimes it drives me nuts, yeah. but that's kind of like the gift and the curse of it. Yeah. I have this like, I have this like five year plan, you know, because I, I, there's a lot of other shit that I want to do in my life. I want to travel and I, I want to maybe entertain the idea of doing some other businesses, but, um, there is a sort of this, like, I, it's almost like mind jail in a way, right? Because you, you can't get your thoughts out of working all the time. But like, man, I just, I feel like five more years, I'm just going to put my head down go as hard as I can go. And then after that, I'm just going to maybe sell everything and, and do something else. And then hopefully be able to free my mind a little bit more and just not always say relax because I relax now. But like, like you said, it's just like it never, you know, you're always thinking about shit. Well, it- if unless you put guardrails in place, like it never ends, right? Because there's always more shit to do. Yeah, and it's the that's I think where most like in our industry, fitness, a lot of these guys they fail because they're not always forward thinking. Yeah, like we're doing stuff like I'm on the with our tech right now, like we're looking at shit the end of 2023, 2024, like just stuff that we're just filming, putting together, and I'm like, hey Rob, do you want this thing for 2020? Dude, it's fucking may yeah i go but we have to do that and if my brain doesn't do that then i'll it'll just all catch up to me and it's just this constant and i'm like okay we can do and even on vacation i'm like okay i can film this in the hotel i can use this for like it's a fucking sickness <laughs> it, it really is and yeah. like i would joke like we used to say like established by a 35 retire by 40 and i'm almost 40 um and all the crazy shit i said like it kind of comes true i still like doing it and to your point like i'll do this as long as it's still fun yeah the day for me where it becomes and again is there stuff, 90% of this I would do for free. 10% of it fucking sucks. Yeah. And I would give it away tomorrow if I could. The problem is the 10% that sucks is the stuff I'm good at and it's the stuff that makes money. Yeah. And so that's fucking important. But when it becomes more work than enjoyment, I need to like get out of it. Yeah. And like that, that's it. I can't do anything. I got I, I to not do another business either. I think more importantly, when you find your identity in it, then it's time to get out, right? Because your Bro. identity Bro. and your legacy right for me is not what i'm doing now who i am is not what i do who i am is the legacy that i want to leave for my son and the you know the things and the life experiences that i want to have and all that stuff so i think that that's very important and so many times i've gotten wrapped up in finding my identity in my businesses which is so bad you know and so it's important that i have that awareness especially when it's your name yeah it's on the fucking door yeah and it's your well, it's hard to do yeah yeah it's a prison yeah but it's a for it's it built me this great life yeah for sure but it's also like it's uh it's a weird thing i don't know i never would have called it this but i was dumb yeah. and young so i didn't know i didn't know <laughs> i would just call it like bill's fitness right and it could have had a uh 
an escape clause, but now I don't. And that that way you could take a vacation without thinking about you know. Uh, yeah, it's um. I again like if it's not fun, I won't I won't do it anymore. So it's and I can't complain. Yeah. But it is work for anybody. I would tell them like if you're thinking about and then I'll ask you this before I let you go. Um, it is a lot um to chew on. And if I knew, I guess I'll ask you this: like if if you knew all the things, like of what it really took before you started and you could see it all like you know what i'm saying like in my mind i think about okay if i can think back to training people at fucking indian steel park and you know it's five o'clock in the morning and it's 110 degrees and then i'm gonna go to my shit corporate job work that all day and then go back and train people yeah. and i'm gonna do that and save every dollar and then i'm gonna quit my job and eat shit and make no money for so long and like just and, and like my wife would be so embarrassed I'm like oh what does your husband do well, he works in fitness what's his business called and that's my yeah. fucking name <laughs> you know and it's like what a loser you know if i look back and saw all the hours and like all the things i've had to learn and you show me that today and i'd be like i don't know bro it seems like a lot of work now i'm happy now because i have all the everything that has brought me and has given me but if i didn't have that as a guarantee yeah. No, I think you would surprise yourself and you would, you would say yes. And I would do the same thing, you know I mean? Cause listen, You're nothing worthwhile is doing, you know, anything worthwhile is worth doing right. And doing something right is means putting in the work. So even now when I take on like a new endeavor or project, I know that the work to get that, get it done. I know the work between getting, you know, starting it and getting the doors open. I know that process is going to fucking suck. But once I get to the finish line, then we're standing on a mountain and we're going, hell yeah, right? And that's that's what keeps me going through it all. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I still would do it. And then you're like a what's next person. There's certainly things that I would have done differently, right? And I would make different decisions and done gone about doing it differently, but I think I still would do it. Yeah. Well, I'm a process person. Yeah. So, like, I like even the parts that suck. Like, I'm willing to suffer a little bit. Yeah. Because it's like, well, how do I get here? And then once I do it, though, but I'm always like, well, then what's next? Without struggle, there is no progress, right? I mean, if it was, again, if it was simple, like, everybody would be shredded and rich yeah. and, like, we'd yeah. work four hours a week, but it's totally. fucking hard to do. Yeah. So if somebody's listening and they're like, well, you know, I want to take a risk in my life, you know, and I want to maybe try something different or quit my job or whatever, like, what would you tell somebody? Fucking do it, man. I mean, have a plan, though. Have a plan and don't quit your job. Like, if you're starting to go do a, a different uh, business endeavor, right, don't quit your job to go just do that. Quit, you know, work your part-time job around your full-time job until your part-time job can sustain whatever uh, bills you, your operating expenses for your household are, right? So many people say, I'm going to go do this, and they quit their job, and they go do it, and it sucks, and they don't have the, they don't have the financing or the fuel to get them through the 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 birth stages right so yeah. don't quit your fucking day job keep your day job do your side hustle until your side hustle can take over your your day job i like that yeah it's um i mean it's simple but it's really the only way we yeah. call it like a reluctant entrepreneur yeah where you kind of build it before and like know yourself i guess like yeah. if it's if this is for you and you get and i would tell anybody like the sooner you do it and again i obviously have a plan in place if you got like five kids and you got to replace $300,000 a year. Like it's a little different ball game, right? Totally. But dude, the sooner you can do it, the better. Like for me, it was like, well, the younger I was like, yeah, what at you're 40 and you're, you know, maybe pushing retirement here pretty soon. So dude, it's like, well, what did I have to lose? Yeah. Back then. Right. If, I always thought like, well, if I suck, I can still go work at enterprise. Like fucking, you yeah. know what I mean? Like when the, when the bottom is so, when you're so close to the bottom Yeah. and I do have empathy for people who have 
and I, and this is what I also tell people: like, live as cheap as you can, as long as you can. Yeah. Live with your mom. Yeah. If you, I mean, you know what I'm <laughs> like because it's yeah. like you, you, your margin for error is greater. Yeah. When you don't have a giant mortgage, three car payments, credit cards, student loans, all this crazy shit. Yeah. Because now you're under the gun, and you're gonna have to do things in a business to generate money faster up front that might not be the best thing for the business or the stage that you're in. Yeah. But it's tough, dude. Yeah. I think what's tougher is looking at the possibility of doing something else and then choosing not to do it and then regretting not doing it. Cause like if you weren't doing this, like what would you be doing? Oh, I don't know. Fuck. I'd be doing something else. I don't you know. Who knows? But no, you know what I mean? This like, is all I know. So and when did you, I'll, I'll ask this real quick. When did you know, like I'm better off just doing it by myself? Then, cause you, cause you did like, I didn't really work. I worked, I was an academic advisor for a year mm. and I about, I, I was cool with it for about three months, mm. maybe, maybe yeah. 90 days where yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's cool. And then after a while I got disenfranchised by it and I'm like, well, these goals are fucking bullshit and this job is fucking bullshit and everything here is trash. Yeah. And this is not for me. I'm not made to do this. Like, when did you realize like, you know what? I'm better. I'm good enough to do this on my own and I'm better by myself. Because you worked in a lot of places. Yeah, I worked in a lot of places. I think, and, and uh, you know, one of the, the mentalities or mindsets that I had when I worked at other places was I always ran the places as if they were my own, right? Which is rare. It's very rare. You never find people that care more than you do, ever. But no. I always ran places as if they were my own because I knew that, you know, I was, my name was somehow attached to it, right? At least the operational side. So Take pride in it. Um, I took pride in where I was and the, the places that I ran were pretty cool. So I always ran it as if they were my own. And um, I guess it just, you know, most of my life I lived with, lived with these limiting beliefs and told myself that I couldn't do stuff or I couldn't be this or I couldn't do that or whatnot. And uh, well, that's a whole nother podcast too. But, you know, I got to the point, you know, through sobriety and, you know, a lot of the spiritual work that I do on myself and the, you know, the self, the, the, the work that I do on myself, um, I've gotten to just a place where I don't have those limiting beliefs anymore. And, and I realize that now if I decided I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to go do it and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it done. Right. And so now, you know, working at those places and putting in the work and, and knowing that the owner of the place didn't really give a shit what I was doing or the mentality that I had. I think with those two combined and, and with the limiting beliefs being gone and knowing that I could just go do it myself, like kind of was like a springboard for me to go just do whatever I decided to do. And when you really were say, Hey, I'm going to go solo. Like, were you nervous at all? Um, I mean, of course I think anybody would be nervous, but, um, at that point I just was so fixated on doing what I was setting out to do that, um, you know, it was only almost like I manifested it. When you manifest something, to manifest something, you have to know, you have to believe that it's already done, right? And so there wasn't a ton of fear involved. I think there was a little stress and maybe a little uncertainty, but just, you know, I just knew. I just knew, you know, like, you know, the sky's blue. You just know, like, you know, that you're going to be successful. It's wild, dude. Yeah. But I think it's kind of everybody's story. It's weird because like it's like uh, you like courage, right? Like how it really works. Like you think it's like you get it before you jump out of the plane. Yeah. It's after you jump out of the plane. Yeah. You get the thing after you do the thing. Right. And then you do one, and then well, fuck. Yeah. Then it makes it a little bit easier. And for me, it was always like, and again, I'm not that smart, but I would see a lot of people doing shit. Yeah. Like, These dudes. They can do it. I can dudes. do it. And I'm like, and I always thought, okay, well, even if like if Rick is smarter than me, 
if Rick wakes up at seven, if I wake up at four, I can just work harder than him. Yeah. And I can fucking get there anyway. There's always someone out there working harder than you are, right? That is true. Yeah. Uh, so the all your places uh, for people listening. Sip Coffee and Beer House. Yep. That's in Old Town. Mm-hmm. And then Sip Coffee, the garage. Yep. Is Arcadia. Arcadia. 36 Below is... In Arcadia, in the Sip Coffee and Beer Garage inside yeah. there. And the Rose Garden is... The Rose Garden downtown, uh, First Avenue Monroe. And then we've got Motif opening up, which is, uh, as I mentioned, it's another cocktail um, restaurant lounge that's going to be on uh, First Avenue in Roosevelt, which is really where our goal is to really kind of be the pioneers of extending Roosevelt a little bit further west. Oh, it's like the whole Roosevelt Road on there? Yeah. All that? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. How Most of what's going on is like um, east of where we're going to be. But as I mentioned, we're, we're really doing a lot to kind of revitalize that particular area on Roosevelt to really bring uh, kind of a, a, an extension of Roosevelt Row and bring it even further west. So a lot of cool stuff happening down there. Yeah, because downtown Phoenix used to suck. I know. It's yeah, I'm, I'm a native and I've watched downtown Phoenix really fight to be a nightlife destination for a long time. And I think they've really accomplished that the last three years. There's it's just been an explosion of bars and restaurants that have opened up down there. It's way better. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And then you're doing the airport too. Doing the airport. Airport. Uh, is that a pain in the ass? It's, uh, no. I mean, not for me. It's a licensing deal, which is great. You know, we don't own it. We, uh, it's like a royalty deal, but uh, we, we've been involved every step of the way. Um, and it, it's been a pain in the ass to just getting it open, but there's, you know, supply chain and, you know, everything else has just contributed to us keep getting pushed back on the open date. But um, I haven't had to deal with all that political stuff. Um, partnered with the guy that really knows the ins and outs of that whole process and has a couple other businesses in the airport. So um, it, it is going to be opening first week of June. So we're really excited about that. It's crazy how the Phoenix airport has become like a place where you can like eat at real restaurants. Yeah. Like every fucking place is in Yeah, there. the airport, definitely the, the landscape of at least Sky Harbor and what's in the airport and what's offered there has definitely changed. I mean, it used to be this boring place that you fly into, you walk to your terminal, there's been a desk that you go talk to the, you know, the receptionist or whatever at, you get ticketed and you go in and now it's like a, it's almost like a little entertainment uh, district in each terminal things oh, yeah. to do. And, you know, I think the next step is to have some sort of immersive bar in there, which we're, we're hoping to maybe do sometime in the future. Yeah. Cause it's great. Now you walk in, depending on the terminal, it's like they got LGOs in there. Yeah. Barrio Queen. What else is there? Uh, There's like- Petal Haas is on our wing. And we're in, uh, in the new Concord that's opening Southwest Terminal 4. There's all kinds of cool shit in there. There's like a m- cool marketplace. There's a bar going in there. Sip coffee and beer. Petal Haas is going in there. No um, shit. Chick-fil-A is going in there. I mean, it's... it's uh, they have everything now. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, do you have social media? Yeah. Do, do you- I? Yeah. Yeah. Cats118. Boom. Yeah, Instagram. It's really all I do. I'm on yeah. Facebook too, but I don't have to look at it. But somebody does yours for work? Like yeah, we have all our in-house people that do. We have an agency that runs ads and then does our SEO. But uh, we do uh, have a gal who, uh, she's the founder of Tita, uh, SIP, actually. Uh, Tita, she does all of our payroll and, and photography and social media. She's nice. amazing. I figured you had somebody yeah. doing it. Yeah, it she's great. And it wasn't you? Not me. No. <laughs> you don't want me taking a picture. Not I'll your fuck thing. it up. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. legit, dude. Yeah, you can find our, our uh, concepts on truecolorconcepts.com or truecolor on Instagram. Um, I'll put all this stuff in the show notes for you guys too. And, uh, obviously if you're local, stop by, have stop a coffee, by. Have, a, have a drink. Have a drink. I still need to do 36 below. Yeah. Let me know. Um, you make an appointment, right? Cause it's like, it's like a certain time. Yeah, frame we do a know? reservation. It's a 90 minute window reservation. So yeah. Yeah. The drinks are fancy though. 
They're fancy. Yeah. I'm more like just have a... I'm you a get beer. a bourbon. I'm a beer guy. Yeah, or whiskey. Yeah. yeah. Or whiskey. I'm pretty... I'm we pretty have beer pretty, there, too. Yeah. I'm from the yeah. Midwest, dude. We can, get, we can get you handled one way or another. I'm a basic dude, yeah. <laughs> um, awesome, dude. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah. It's good stuff. You let me know when you want to come in. We'll roll out the red carpet for you. 100%. And no, Heather's going to listen to this and be like, oh, I need to go. Um, when we get back, for sure. You yeah. Gotta go, you got to go to Italy, dude. I'm oh, going. by the way, you did think you're the only person I know who thought there were going to be 50. Oh, my God. I was hoping you wouldn't bring How's that up. How embarrassing <laughs> is that, right? So tell us tell really quick. So oh. you plant. So tell us story really quick. So uh, May 9th is my birthday. Um, and leading up to – this is the whole reason why I reached out to you to train with you. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be 50. I'm going to look like I did in that photo that, that D'Lo and I sent you. I was 40 in that picture. Yeah. Um, it's time to get shredded again. So that's the whole reason I reached out to you. So I'm turning 50, right? And then um, – so – the weekend, May 8th, I go to my dad's house. My mom comes over, my sister, all my nephews, me, my wife, my son. We're celebrating 50. My birthday cards say 50. Um, cool. So we go home. I'm, my mom calls me Monday, and she goes, Josh, you are not turning 50. I'm like, what? She's like, do the math. And so she was right. I'm not like, I'm like, what the fuck? What happened? I I don't even know when we got off track, but um, yeah, I'm 49. I gained a year. Yeah, so it's so you plan like this whole huge trip. So now I'm gonna go eat a shit ton of pizza. Then we'll be we'll we'll try this whole thing again next year. We'll yeah. all go to, and do another push to get in good get shape sh- again. Shredded right? for 50. No, I'm a, God, that's wild, dude. Yeah, isn't that funny? But I guess like after you're like 20, uh, 21 stage or two. is a state of mind, man, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, the fact that's you, my excuse. You planned all this whole huge 50th thing. Yeah. I, I planned my Italy trip around it, too. Yeah. So. No, next year. I told my wife, hey, we're going to have to take another trip next year. So, it's, yeah. of, it's been fun, man. It's been fun because I gained a year and then, you know, everybody joking around about it. So That's like, wild. A little dude. embarrassing. No, man. It's a good story. Yeah. Um, I appreciate it, brother. Thank hey, you. Hey, thank you, sir. Yes. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm going to put all Josh's stuff uh, in the show notes for you guys. Um, check it out. If you guys are obviously locals, um, I'll put the local places here and you guys can harass me, obviously, when you come in. Again, um, any questions you guys have for us, obviously drop them below. I'm traveling next week, but we'll pop on uh, once we're there. Again, the Summer Events Metcon starts on Monday. Links in the show notes. You guys can join it for free. If you want a free sample of Athletic Greens, obviously hit me up. And if you guys are on Apple Podcasts, drop out a five-star, leave a comment. Don't be a lazy ass. And same thing goes for Spotify. Um, until next time, you guys eat well, train hard, be nice people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.